Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy podcast. We're so glad that you're here today. Today we're going to be talking about shame. A lot of times people talk about guilt and shame, but I think it's really important to sit down and talk about the differences. And as we were sitting down, we were really trying to flesh that out. And I really felt like there's such a big piece of conviction that needs to be also put in here. And I think a lot of times people will use these terms interchangeably, but I think it's important to have a different idea of what each means. So it's easier for yourself to understand what is going on with you, but then also can help you to convey to other people what's going on with you as well. So shame is a self-conscious emotion that arises when we feel exposed or seen as flawed in some way. With shame, you often have feelings of embarrassment, remorse, and self-doubt. It can also lead to avoidant behavior, as people may try to avoid certain situations or activities that might trigger that feeling of shame. Guilt, however, is a little bit different from shame because when you have the feeling of guilt, it's more of yourself understanding you did something wrong and then feeling bad internally, regardless of what others might think. It's kind of akin to remorse where you feel this deep and painful regret for doing wrong. So shame is more of a societal standard that kind of gets imposed on you. And then guilt is your own standard that is imposed on you by when you have negative feelings about your own action. And then conviction, however, is different from both shame and guilt in that there are no negative feelings attached to it, but it is an understanding that you may have done something wrong or a strong belief that this is the right thing to do. When we were in our master's program, one of our professors gave us an analogy. So if there's a big campus and there's a lawn, the lawn has all these signs on it that says, do not walk on the grass. There'll be different things that happen. So someone can walk on the grass and not even see the signs. So they just kind of keep walking along on the grass. Someone else comes along, they walk on the grass, they see the sign, and they immediately get off. Then another person comes along, they see the sign, they feel bad. Oh man, I walked on the grass and it says not to, and then they get off. Another person comes along, they walk on the grass, they see the sign, they look around and they think, did anyone see me? And they're worried about that. And then they quickly get off the grass. So the first person in this analogy is totally unaware of any wrongdoing. They don't have any understanding. They didn't see the sign. They don't know. The second person who walked on the grass noticed the sign and then got off and had no negative feelings about walking on the grass, just an understanding, oh, that was wrong, and then got off. That's an example of somebody who is falling under conviction. Oh, I'm convicted. That thing's wrong. I'm going to stop doing it. And then they go along their merry way, and there's no big deal. The next person who got on the grass saw the sign and then started to feel bad about that, that's an example of somebody who is feeling guilty. So they're having a negative emotional reaction and response to having noticed that they broke a rule. And then the last person, the person who noticed the sign and then stopped and immediately looked around to see who saw them breaking the rule, that's a great example of shame. That person felt shamed and worried whether people saw them or not. They were worried about what other people would think about them breaking that rule. So I think for us to understand what is going on when we notice we're doing something wrong, are we thinking about just the idea, oh, that was a wrong thing, so I need to change direction and now do the right thing? So am I feeling guilty and remorse about that, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because that can help us change direction? Or am I feeling shame 
Am I feeling society pushing me to do something? And you may not necessarily even agree that that's a wrong thing, but it's, I'm worried about the social implications of that. So then I'm going to change my behavior. And it may be even a mixture. You may feel guilty about it and truly have remorse about it. And then also have that sense of shame, which kind of lingers there. I think when we talk about the differences between the three, conviction and even guilt can be a really good thing because it can allow us to change and grow, kind of like Tim just said. But a lot of times shame makes us feel stuck. And that shame can cause you to hide and run and lie because you're trying to protect yourself from that shame. But it oftentimes doesn't really produce a lot of good change versus guilt or conviction does. And so one of the things we come up against a lot in counseling is that shame that happens. Maybe there's an affair. Maybe there's pornography or something else that's happening. And then that person feels shameful about it. Yes, they might also feel guilty and remorseful, but then they begin to feel shameful and they hide themselves. They lie about it. And then whatever initially happened, whatever was the initial hurt, doesn't even matter really. Because the deeper hurt that is now happening, the lying that happened to cover up the initial action and the shame that they felt. So although the initial hurt really did hurt and would have hurt on its own, most of the time spent in session is really healing from the lying that happened and the hiding and then the mistrust that came out of that. Because then people begin to think, well, was anything really true? What is true? What's not true? And they question a lot more than just the initial hurt. So again, just as like an understanding that remorse and that guilt can oftentimes produce that change behavior, but shame just in itself normally doesn't produce much behavior. It, it causes people to hide and try to continue doing what they're doing under the cover of darkness because they themselves don't really believe that there's anything wrong. But you could have a combination of shame and conviction that then does produce a change in behavior because you internally still believe that you're doing something wrong. But if the only thing you're feeling is that sense of shame, it's not likely to produce a change in behavior. It's more likely to just drive those behaviors underground. So I think another example that we can use to give the difference between shame and conviction would be the idea of speeding. If you speed all the time when you don't see a cop around, you have zero conviction about breaking the speed limit. But then if you see a cop, then all of a sudden you hit your brakes and you go the speed limit, right? It's more of the shame and fear of the consequences that you might receive that cause you to then follow that rule. But again, if you have the conviction, you say, okay, no matter what the speed limit is, no matter if a cop's around or not, I'm going to follow that speed limit because I believe that is the right thing to do. We just talked a little bit about how conviction, even guilt, allows us to change and grow, but shame can cause you to feel stuck. So adding on to that analogy of the grass, sometimes we're shaming ourselves based on that assumption of what other people might think, even though that's not true, and that causes you to stay stuck. We're really shaming ourselves when it really may not even matter to other people. Say someone's walking on the grass, they see the sign, they begin to feel this embarrassment that maybe they did look around and they saw that people saw them, and so they just stay on the grass or they collapse on the ground crying and they're like, man, I'm so stupid. I always do this. Now everyone knows that I can't read a sign. Or now everyone knows that I don't follow directions. And I always mess up. And that shame has caused that person to stay stuck. And it hasn't corrected course. So they're still messing up the grass, right? They've stayed on there. 
But now maybe other people have already walked past and they don't even care. But you are staying on the grass berating yourself, making yourself feel terrible at this inaccurate perception that other people are going to judge you or care. And so now it's that same idea where they're not judging you now for being on the grass. Now they're looking at you because of how terrible you're being to yourself. And that's something that people around you will notice more than yourself. I actually think this is a really interesting thing, this idea of shame. And a lot of people end up hiding who they really are and they put this mask on and they walk through their regular everyday life on with this mask hiding who they really are because they're so afraid that they're going to get judged by people around them. I always ask my patients, I say, who are the people who are closest to you? And how much do they really know about your deep, dark secrets? And the people who have very few close friends, but then they have like one or two, they're like, they'll always tell me, oh man, my closest of friend knows everything about me, but then they still accept me and they still like me. And I ask them this question on top of that. I say, how much would you give to have one or two more friends like that? And almost all the time they'll tell me, oh, I'd give just about anything to have one or two more friends like that. And then I let them know. I say, listen, um, these people know everything about you and they're your best friends. But that's a part of the equation. A part of why you like them and you're so close to them is because they know everything about you and they've still accepted you. But you're running around with this mask on and nobody gets to see the real you. And that's barring and preventing you from creating these deeper connections with other people. If you take this mask off, by chance, people might like the real you better than they like the fake you. Because the problem when you have that mask on is if people do accept you with that mask on, there's always this thought in the back of your mind, well, if they knew the real me. And so you put on this mask thinking it's going to protect you, but the only thing it really protects you from is creating and crafting deeper, more close connections with other people. Don't get me wrong, sometimes having that mask off can open you to criticism and can put you in situations where you get wounded. But when you have that mask on, you have no real possibility of connection. And so you're always constantly feeling wounded. And so I always tell people, in my estimation, there's one way where it will only work out bad, and that's putting the mask on. There's another option where it may work out good and it may work out bad, but you have the option that it can go well, and that's by taking the mask off and showing people who you really are. Because then you will find some people who will like and appreciate you and accept you for who you are. Don't get me wrong, sometimes you will be rejected, but at the very least, you will start making connections with other people and that will fill you up much more and be more meaningful to you than the number of people who might reject you for who you are. Yeah, and I think a lot of times we are comparing ourselves unfairly, right? So all this stuff about social media, Pinterest, all these things that we see, we're comparing our worst days with others' best days. So we're looking at those Instagram posts that are perfect. The reality is their life is probably not that perfect all the time. So we're looking at that beautiful Instagram post they just did on the days when our kids are screaming, the floor is a mess, our hair is a mess, we don't know what to make for lunch or dinner, you've procrastinated on your work, you just pulled an all-nighter, all these things. And then you're looking at this beautiful post thinking, why is my life not like that? And so it's an unfair comparison of comparing your worst days with their best days. I also think this is why support groups are beneficial to people a lot of times. If you have a lot of shame and guilt and you've done a lot of hiding and people don't know who you really are, but then you go to the support group with people who are struggling in the same way you are, whether it's like an addiction support group like AA or Celebrate Recovery or Divorce Recovery Group 
or a grief share group or something along those lines, you go there and you listen to other people talk and they talk about their struggles. And then you're like, oh my gosh, other people are struggling with this in the same way that I am or in a similar fashion to how I am. And then it makes you feel validated. Oh, I'm not some weird odd man out who's experiencing this thing that nobody else is experiencing. And so then you feel this community and this sense of like, oh, okay, I'm not so shameful. I'm not so different from other people. And then it allows you more to accept yourself and then move past some of the difficulties and some of the bad behaviors you've had. Because just like Ruth was saying, when you get stuck in that sense of shame, it really can be holding you in place and continuing bad behaviors that are hard to move away from because you don't have much motivation to move away from those bad behaviors. But once you see other people and you get that validation, like, oh, other people have struggled and they're working on it and they think this is wrong. They're convicted that this is wrong and they're making strides toward this. Okay, I feel validated and now I can look at being convicted and learning that this is not a good behavior and I want to change this as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Shame is so isolating. And so as we move into how what do we do with that shame, that's a great start is to go to a support group and get around people so that you aren't isolated with just your shame. Because when you're just isolated with your shame, it just gets louder and louder and louder. And your shame isolates you more and more. And so I think an important thing to understand is what voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of conviction? Are you listening to the voice of guilt? Or are you listening to the voice of shame? And of the three, the voice of shame is the least helpful. Guilt is more helpful than shame, but still not as good as conviction. Because when we have those negative feelings, they're oftentimes demotivational. But if you just have the understanding that this is wrong, it's much easier to choose the right behavior. And so if you get a feeling or sense of guilt, only allow that guilt to spark you to the idea that, okay, yeah, I need to make a change. But if you sit there and you wallow in that guilt, it's also not going to help you out at all. It's going to breed feelings of depression, which then create lack of motivation, which then makes it harder and harder to make the change you might need to make. And maybe it was a situation where you were shamed, where somebody shamed you and embarrassed you in front of a bunch of people. But then you began to take on that shame for yourself. And that kind of became your identity. And you began to shame yourself in your own voice. And that's far more damaging because that continues long after those other people are gone. You become the enemy within. Absolutely. And I think we are so cruel to ourselves. Where if you hear the self-talk that some people are experiencing or that you're experiencing, you would never talk to someone else that way. You would never tell people the things that you tell yourself. And so we are so cruel to ourselves. And so one of the ways to change that shame is to really have empathy for yourself and to give yourself the grace that you would so easily offer to other people. We were just talking to somebody the other day and they were saying a lot of times they do that. They say, okay, if somebody else had done this, what would I say to them? And then they try to translate what they would say to somebody else and then start saying that to themselves to give themselves more grace than they naturally would. So sometimes we listen to that internal voice of shame for so long that we forget what the voice of truth sounds like. One of the ways to combat that is to get around people that will tell you the truth and remind you of the truth of who you are. So allow them to be that voice of truth when you're confused and you don't even trust yourself and you don't know what to believe or what to listen to. You need to get around those people that can speak that truth to you. 
that you are good and you are worthy and you are good enough and you have these special skills and you that you are accepted and acceptable. Another good thing to do is daily affirmations where you're speaking these truths over yourself and it's not false truths that I'm the best person in the world and I'm the greatest at this, but it's truth to the core of who you are. I'm a child of God. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Things that help you to remember who you truly are and who created you. And that even though you've made a mistake, but that's not the truth of who you are. And I think that's a big piece of shame is that it takes one thing that we've done and it says that is who you are. And that's not the truth. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.